You're extremely good at f following a routine, and you're there in your quiet time every single day. But over a matter of time, over a matter of months or years, you've realized, come to realize that my, my routine has become very dry. And there's very little about my relationship with God. It's just something that I've got to check off. I've got to get done every day. And so even your quiet time has become less about your relationship with the Lord. Those things happen to us too, don't they? They both do. Either we, we're lousy at keeping a routine or we're so good at keeping a routine that we lose the relationship. Yeah? Both of those things happen to us. And the reason why is, of course, you know, we're just sinful people. We just are. And, and, and in, our, in our human nature, well, let me tell you this. When you go in the morning and you go and you open up your Bible and you go to start reading, what happens? Very kind of the first thing. Don't you, like me, you start thinking about all the things that you've got to do during the day? You think that's by accident? <laughs> It's not, listen, our human nature just, just rebels against this thing about us being uh, in relationship with God, against us being in His Word and being retrained about how we ought to live and how we ought to move. You know, you could be, men, we could be in the middle of Sports Center and the 50,000 things we've got to do around the house never in our, our minds, right? I mean, you know, other than landing on the moon, Sports Center is the second greatest achievement of mankind. But. In the middle of sports center, you're not could all consumed about you know fixing the back gate or or the uh, you know you, you got to put on some wall plates or something in the other room. Maybe that's just me, uh, but you know but you sit down to start reading your Bible and then all these things start clouding into your mind, coming into your mind and distract you from what you're trying to do there. The reason is just inwardly, very much in the very center of our person, we are rebellious against God. It's just the truth. We'll read a little bit more about that in a little bit, but. So there's always something competing. There's always something trying to get us away. And we're always having to come back to God. We're always having to come back to him and say, help me. And we talked about this last week. But we always have to come back to him and say, Lord, I don't desire to be in your word today. I just confess it. I'll just admit it to you. I just confess it. I don't want to be in prayer to you this morning. And I just want you to help me. I, I need your help to overcome this because I know there's something broken in me because I believe in my head that the best thing for me to be in the morning is in relationship with you, but it's the last thing I want to do. So we have to confess that to the Lord and ask for his help. And listen, over time, he will begin to bring joy and life and relationship into that time in your morning. You believe this? It's true. He'll, he'll do it. And so we're always coming back to the Lord. It's not that we can muster up enough discipline to do it. It's going to be an act of the, of the Lord in our hearts and our minds to mold us and shape us and to make us more like Jesus Christ. Uh, but that is, uh, that is our goal. All right, it's an easy thing to miss. Well, we're going to talk about a couple things. We're going to talk about a parable. It's probably Jesus' absolute most famous parable this morning. Uh, it's a story of two sons. And uh, the, the, the interesting part of the parable or the thing that Jesus is doing that he does, does always so incredibly well is he's comparing and contrasting two different things. He does this all the time. Well, in this story, he's going to be comparing and contrasting two different sons, right? Let me tell you, oftentimes in this Jesus' parables, he was comparing and contrasting the right thing and the wrong thing, right? In this parable, Jesus is comparing the wrong thing and the other wrong thing, all right? Are you with me? And it's like this. I want you to imagine this with me this morning. It's like there's a road that leads to the Lord, and, and Jesus said something about the road that leads to him. He said it was what? Narrow. He said it was a narrow road, and, uh, it, and it was easy to miss, right? But he didn't say it in those exact words, but he said it was a narrow road. But imagine this. In this bar ditch on the left-hand side is a bar ditch, and you're not going to make it there. On the right-hand side, there's another bar ditch, and you're not going to make it there down the road uh, there either. Jesus is going to compare and contrast these two sons who are both in the wrong, and he's going to say right down the middle is where we need to be. All right, so let's look at it. Would you look with me in Luke chapter 15, please? We're going to start in verse 11. Luke chapter 15, verse 11. 
We're going to read about the first, four, uh, what, eight, nine verses here, and then we'll take a little break here uh, and, uh, and talk about it. Luke chapter 15, verse 11. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to the fields to feed pigs. He no longer fi- he longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will sit out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and went to his father. Let's pause there for just a minute, and we'll continue here in just a moment. But let me, in the meantime, let me have your attention. Jesus is talking to a particular crowd this morning. If you look with me at the beginning of, of uh, chapter 15 and verse 1, it says this. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear him, to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. And that's why Jesus told this in a couple of other par- parables. So here we had two groups. There were the group of the Pharisees, and then there was a group of sinners, tax collectors and sinners. Um, the despised groups, right, the tax collectors and sinners. Sinners were people whose lives were, they were outcasts in society because of their immoral lives, right? They were living in adultery, or they were prostitutes, or they had committed some sin in that very religious uh, nation of Israel that it caused them to be outcasts in their own country, right? They lived in so much immorality that they were known as the sinners, right? Yeah, I'm glad I'm not in that group. Uh, that'd be tough, wouldn't it? Uh, they weren't welcome in places. They weren't welcome in, in, in people's homes who were righteous, right? Uh, and then you had the other group of the Pharisees. Uh, the Pharisees were very, very uh, pious group, very, very, very righteous, at least in their own thinking, right? They tried to do everything very right, very particular to try to keep all of God's laws and even a bunch that they had added. But anyway, that's a story for another time. Let me take you through this parable because Jesus is comparing and contrasting two different sons, and uh, a younger son, and then a little bit later on, you remember, he compares and contrasts an older son. This younger son represents who? The sinners, all right, right? This is very obvious, right? The crowd would not have been stumped at this. In verse 12, it says this, that the younger one who said to his father, give me my share of the estate, that would be a very unusual request. Usually the estate wasn't divided, right, until the father was dead or at least impaired to the point that he couldn't manage his own stuff very well. Uh, probably means that the younger son was, uh, was uh, totally inconsiderate of the father, had no desire to, uh, uh, n- no thought toward his father or no thought toward what he wanted. He just wanted his own way, right? And so he asked for a share of the estate early, but the father went ahead and gave it to him. Look with me in verse 13 also. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, had and set off for a distant country. Why would he move far away from his father? Why did you move far away from your parents? Uh huh. Why did you move far away from your parents? That's right. You got to live by your rules and not theirs, right? There's something happens in uh, in uh, in adolescence, right? Their children lose their minds, and uh, not really. They gain independence, and they say, "I want to live my own life." 
right? And they move off from their parents. And usually by that time, the parents are, we want you to live your own life and uh, go ahead. What, you know, can we help load you up? Can we you know, rent a U-Haul? What do we need to do? Uh, and they're all ready to go. But here this is the same story, but there's something I want you to catch here. He moved and he set off for a distant country. Let me tell you what I think this says about him. The younger son didn't want to live under his father's influence anymore. Didn't want to live under his father's influence anymore. Didn't want to live under his rules. Didn't love, want to live according to his father's lifestyle. He wanted to live his own life. And so he goes out and what does he do? He moves far off and he blows all the money in wild living. Doesn't have to live under the father's rules anymore, right? What does that reveal about the younger son? He's a sinner, right? <laughs> He's a sinner. He's a lousy sinner. Uh, he doesn't have any concern for his father, and he wants to go and live his own way apart from the father. What does that reveal about these sinners, about the, the, the folks here that he's talking to? They're the same way. They don't want to live under God's law, and they have no concern for him. They don't want to live under God's influence whatsoever. They just want to live their own life. And so they're sinners. They're adulterers. They're prostitutes. They're cheats. They're thieves. They're liars, whatever. They're living their lives the own way that they want to with no concern for the Father. All right, now the next part of the story, of course, goes something like this. Um, do I need to say something before I say that? Yeah, let, let me start with this. But listen, in this younger son, something happens, right? Something happens to him, and he, uh, I love the way it says this, um, if I can find it again. I love, love the way it says this, when it says, um, I'll get it here in a minute. In verse 17, I love this. When he came to what? His census. He said, how many of my father's hired men? Can I tell you, um, that's where if you've become a Christian, you've come to this point also, you know, where you recognize, you know, this guy was feeding pigs, and as a Jew, you know, this is absolutely the worst job uh, that there possibly was. Uh, you know, I work at Pantex, and uh, we always say that the worst job is the guy who cleans the porta potties. We've got a lot of them at Pantex, and that's the worst job. This somehow to a Jew would be worse than that, although I can't imagine. Uh, this guy uh, fed pigs, which would be uh, really terrible. They're unclean animals, and he had to deal with them every single day and feed them slop and uh, uh, peas in this case. But anyway, um, or seeds, pods. Uh, and so uh, when he comes to his senses and, and, and realizes where he was, you know, that happened to you and to me if you've become a Christian, hasn't it? It's, it's happened that you realize that all the time you wanted to live apart from your heavenly father, you come to the point to say, but I need him. I'm in, a, I'm in such a bad place. I'm in such a, a low condition, or, and maybe for you, I don't know what it was, we all have a little bit different story, but, but for you, it was you realized just how very sinful you were, and you needed to come to God to have your, have your sins removed, you know? Or maybe you had made such a mess up of your life that you came to God and you just said, just please just fix this because I have messed this up so royally bad and I thought I was so smart, but it turns out I am so dumb and I need you to come into my life. I need you to show me how to do life right. Maybe that was you, but at some point, all of us, I pray, come to the point to say, I need my father. I need his forgiveness. I need for him to restore me. I need for him to come in and to fix what I've broken. Yeah? Has that happened with you? Listen, I pray it has because uh, if not, if you've not come to that point, then you don't know Jesus Christ. You don't know his goodness and his mercy and that he's waiting for you to come back just like we read about the father. Are you ready? 
So the father is uh, there, and you might imagine what a fa- what an earthly father might do, right? He might be standing on the porch and say, what, something like, I told you so. But that's not true of this father, is it? The second part of verse 20. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with what? Compassion for him. This is a picture. Now, Jesus is telling about the heavenly father, about his father, about our father. He says he is filled with compassion for sinners. Isn't that great? Isn't that amazing? The God who could stand there and judge us and say, you have been unrighteous. You have been, you've made bad decisions, and now you're going to suffer the consequences for them. He has every right to do that, doesn't he? But instead, he's filled with compassion because that's a character of our God for him. And listen to what he does. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. He's now uh, 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 saying the, the little words that he'd rehearsed there. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, Bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Let me say just a word about that. Um, let me tell you what, what he's doing there. Is that not only is he, he's basically telling the son is that he's restoring him to the family. I love the picture, and, and don't miss it. Jesus didn't say these things by accident. These words are here for a reason. He clothed him with a robe. What does a robe do? It covered him. See, the son had walked in such disobedience and had, had so much shame and would come home and, you know, what was he going to do? Tell his father that he'd spent time with prostitutes and he'd been feeding pigs for the last so many months or years. But the father comes and he puts a robe on him and covers over his sin and his shame. Isn't that great? That's the grace of our God and our Father. There's none of us who's too far off from him that he cannot save us and restore us and cover our sin. What a gracious God we serve. Amen. But not only that, he put a ring on his finger. Do you know what that is? That's a, in, the, in, in these times, a ring was a symbol of status. It meant that he belonged to the family and, w- and belonged to the father, that he belonged to him. And he wouldn't be treated like a servant. He would be treated like a son, even though he deserved to be treated like a servant. The, the father put the, his ring on his finger and said, no, this is my son. And he completely, in that moment, restored his son to the place of sonship. This is significant. This is important for you and I to realize because no matter how... No, let me try that one more time. I got a little cold. Y'all just uh, pray for a little, uh, little clarity here this morning for me. Um, this is significant because while the father had every right to say, you're going to suffer the consequences and you're going to work for me for the rest of your life for the money that you took from me, he said, no, make him, replace him, restore him, and I forgive him. And he put his, 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 uh, a ring on his finger and a robe over him, and he covered him and he restored him to the place of being a son again. That is the compassion of our God. That is him. That's who he is. Yeah? And sandals on his feet would be treated like a, sl- uh, like a servant. He'd be treated like a son. And then he says in verse 23, this is significant also, bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. This is important. Jesus was talking about a feast or a banquet here, which was not by accident again. Uh, let me turn back just a chapter here or two to, to Luke chapter 13, verse uh, 49, I think, 29. Luke 13, verse 29. Jesus had been talking about a banquet. He says this in in Luke chapter 13, 29. People will come from east and west and north and south and will take their places at the, what, feast in the kingdom of God. 
there'd be another spot where he would tell in uh, Luke chapter 14, look in Luke 14, verse 15, read this later when you get home or, uh, or tonight or tomorrow morning, and he talks about a great a parable of a great banquet. What happens in the parable of the great banquet? There's a guy who's rich, and he's going to throw a party, uh, have a banquet for everybody, and he sends a list to all of his friends, and all of his friends say, ah, I'm too busy, I got too much to do. And so he tells the servants, well, you go out and you, you find people who are poor and needy and beggars and lame and blind, and you bring them to the feast. And then he says at the end, the people who are invited will never attend my banquet. But those people who are beggars, those people who are blind and lame and poor, they'll be the ones who will be in the banquet. All right? This is significant. The younger son, well, he was lost in his sin, but comes to his senses realizes his need and comes back to the Father and is invited to the banquet. Okay? Remember this. This is going to be important in a few minutes. Back to Luke chapter 15, please. Verse 25. Now we're going to read the third part of the story about the older son. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing, so he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him, but he, but he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is now found. All right, a couple of things I want to say. Okay, if the younger son was the sinners, the older son is the, represents the Pharisees. That's right, represents the Pharisees. Um, and here's the deal. What, what's the rub? What's the big deal? Why did the son not like the, uh, the, the younger son? Why did the older son not like the younger son getting a party and all this stuff? Yeah. Yeah, a yeah, little pouty, funny, little pathetic, little sniveling, little, never mind. Uh, but, uh, uh, yeah, so he's, uh, he's a little pouty and he's a, a little maybe jealous, maybe a little judgmental. How come? That's right. He's been re- is he being rewarded for sin? Yeah. How about this? He's, uh, the father's shown mercy that the, son would, that the older son would never show mercy to. Someone that the younger son would show mercy to. Who's right? It's, this is an easy one. It's the father who's represented as God, right? <laughs> yeah, everything God does is right. And so he's, uh, he's angry, and, uh, and, uh, and, he's, and he's jealous. Notice there's a couple of things that reveal to us a little bit about the older son. One is that the first thing is, is that he's angry that the father would show mercy to this younger son, that the, that the older son would never show mercy to him, right? The second thing is this. Look with me in, uh, uh, in verse 29. He says, but he answered, Father, look, all these years I've spent, what? Slaving for you? My guess is the father might have been surprised to hear that. All these years I've been slaving for you. And what does he say, why? And yet you never even gave me a goat. You see, the, the older son's mindset was that he had been working and slaving and he never got anything for it. You see the reason why he worked? He was working for reward. He wanted something out of his father and he thought by working that he would earn it. And when he didn't earn it, he was angry that he gave it to somebody else. 
this is what I'm talking about. The road to Jesus Christ is narrow. You can fall off on one side and you can wander off and do your own thing and live apart from God with no concern for what he desires over your life, with no concern for his authority over you or what the scripture says about how you ought to live. You can live that way. The other way, listen to me, there are two ways that you can miss salvation. There are two ways that you can miss Jesus Christ. One is by being very bad, very sinful. And if you stay there, let me just say what the scripture says, you're going to hell. Let me tell you the other way that you can miss salvation, you can miss Jesus Christ, is by being too good. I say that to get a reaction out of you a little bit, but let me tell you what I mean. Is by being like the older son and say, I never got this, and I've been working, and I've been all doing all these things, and I never gained your favor, right? And the older son never recognized his need for the father. He was just working for a reward, okay? Now, follow me here. Follow me here. This is important stuff. The older son missed the banquet because of his self-righteous attitude and his lack of mercy for his brother. He missed the banquet. Look with me again. Let's look. Uh, It says in verse 28, the older brother became angry and refused to go in. He refused to go into the banquet. He wouldn't be there. Because he didn't want to celebrate with that lousy sinner, younger brother of his who had come home. Yeah? Let me tell you, you and I can miss God by being too self-righteous, by thinking that somehow we've earned God's favor by doing and working and slaving for him. Could the, could, the, could the parable not have, could Jesus not tell the parable and there be a third son, you know, like the middle child who was there, loved the dad, loved doing the, the dad's work, loved relating to him, ate goat with the dad every night, you know, they watched football on Sunday afternoons together. You know, why couldn't they do, why couldn't there be a, th- a middle son? Well, I'll tell you why. Turn with me to, to Romans chapter 3. This is the Apostle Paul writing who's borrowed borrowed some scripture from the Psalms. Romans chapter 3, verse 10. As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands, no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have all become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Why isn't there a middle brother who gets it? It's because we're all lost. We're all, every one of us has been corrupted by sin to the point that we don't even see it and know it. We've all been warped and corrupted and our judgment and our thoughts are even uh, questionable because we've been so warped by sin, right? Why isn't there a middle son? Because nobody gets it. No one follows God like they ought to. And that means that every single one of us are in need of God's mercy of the Father's mercy and his grace. See, the Pharisee was close to God, this close to God, but he missed a relationship with him and was just working for him instead. The younger son wanted nothing to do with the father, didn't want anything, any of his influence in his life, and he missed a relationship to, with, with God until he came to his senses. But the point of the parable is this, who was invited and came to the banquet? The younger son, the one who had been a lousy sinner and realized it came to his senses and came back. Now, the, here, the incredibly interesting thing, we read this, I know you guys are terribly familiar with this parable, but look with, look with me in verse 28. What did the father do with the older son? 
He did the same thing he did with the younger one. Are you with me? What did he do with the younger son? He went out and he ran out after him. For the, for the older son, the older son became angry and refused to go in. And so the father, what? He left the banquet. He went out and he pleaded with him to come in to the banquet. But the older son would have nothing to do with it but because he wasn't going to associate it with that lousy sinner that the, that the father had been uh, merciful to. Yeah? It's important for us to see that the older son didn't come into the banquet because he missed it. He says something interesting there. He says, um, uh, verse 31, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. Probably refers to the, the, the Pharisees being part of God's chosen people and being even leaders in God's chosen people. He says, you're, you're always with me and everything I have is yours, but he wouldn't come into the banquet. All right, um, so here we go. What do we do with this? Let me tell you, you and I have the capacity to be the younger son and the older son at different times. There is no middle child in the parable. Why is this? Because we're all lousy sinners. The, only, the difference between the younger son and the older son is the older son didn't realize it. He didn't get it. He never, there was never a part in there where he came to senses and said, oh, look, I'm just as lousy a sinner as that younger son. He never did that, and neither did the Pharisees, and that's why the Pharisees, uh, Jesus railed against over and over because they felt all self-righteous and that they were keeping the law when they really hadn't felt self-righteous, felt like they were owed by God because of their lifestyle. And he says, I owe you nothing because you can't keep the law anyway, right? And you need as much mercy as the younger son. Um, And so here's the deal. Like the parable of the banquet, we're all beggars, every one of us. None of us deserves to be there. True? There is no one righteous, not even one. No one who seeks God, no one who understands, not one. None of us deserves to be there. You know, it's like the guy, it's like, you know, they come to the banquet and the guy who's lame says to the guy that can see, well, at least I can see. And And the blind guy says, well, at least I can walk. None of them deserve to be there. None of us deserve God's grace. That's why, of course, we call it grace, right? None of us deserve God's grace. And yet, here's the, here's the middle path. Here's the narrow road is this, is that we have to come to the point to realize we don't deserve his grace any more than anyone else. And what do you do with it? Let me tell you. You jump in with both feet. Go to the deep end of God's grace and, and, and submerge yourself. Enjoy it. Soak it up. You, 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 you'll enjoy it. It'll be good for you. And you need it. You need it. And so do I. Look with me in, in the bottom of, or the middle of, uh, of, uh, Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3, verse 21. Here's the, here's the good news. Here's the part that's important. It says this, But now a righteousness from God, apart from the law, has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. What's he talking about? He says, Now there's a gospel, a message has been made known, that the Bible, even in the Old Testament, was talking about was coming. And it's a righteousness from God. Notice it's not a righteousness from us, right? Because we are not righteous, right? We are sinners. In verse 22, it says, This righteousness, again, from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The younger brother obviously sinned. The other older brother obviously had a sinful attitude but didn't know it because of his self-righteous attitude. I tell you, 
The danger here, folks, is for those people who are in either place, who are living apart from God, having no desire over what God might have in his influence over their, over their lives. And then on the other side, the dangerous thing is to think that you somehow are earning God's favor by what you're doing, by somehow that you are owed something by God. All right, we'll talk about that a little bit more, but uh, let's continue. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace through redemption that came through Jesus Christ. How is it that any of us are invited to the banquet? There's only one way. We realize our need for God's forgiveness and his grace, and it only comes through Jesus Christ. Amen. I need to wrap up with you here. But let me tell you, um, all of us can miss out on God's grace by being in sin, but you can also miss out by being too good, by being self-righteous. Um, and I, so here's the bottom, here's the end of the story. We don't want to be like the younger son who's wandering around in sin, who's wandering around apart from God and saying, I don't want any part of your influence over my life. I want to live my life my own way. And uh, how can you tell if you're that? You're living your life apart from God. You don't want to hear his input over your lives. Don't want to be like the younger son. There are people even who are Christians who live like the younger son. They don't want God's influence over their lives. They want to do what they want to do, and they don't care what the Scripture says. They don't care what God says. They want to do their own thing. That's dangerous territory. I invite you to come back. Live under the Father's influence. It'll be better for you this way. The other side, though, is this, is that you don't want to be like the older son either in his self-righteous and judgmental attitude. Um, I said a little bit earlier that we've all got a little bit of the younger son and a little, little bit of the older son in us, but uh, let me tell you, how do you know if you're being a little bit like the older son? Um, let me ask you, are you judgmental of other beggars? You see people who commit sins that you don't commit, and so, well, they're not good people. Those, those are bad people, right? Well, I've got news for you. So are you. We're all beggars. We're all poor, blind, lame, and it's only by God's grace, only by God's grace that we have redemption and salvation, only by him that we have any righteousness whatsoever. There is no one who is righteous, not even one. The other thing is this, is that, not only are we judgmental of other people, but listen, when you find yourself getting angry, and this happens to us sometimes, when you find yourself getting angry because God has been merciful to someone that you don't consider worthy, you're being a Pharisee. Does that happen to you? Something good happens in someone else's life, and they're living a lifestyle that you don't approve of, and something good happens, and then you get angry at God for, show, for God showing them mercy. Pharisee. Our goal is not to be either son. Our goal is to be the son who came to his senses and realized he is low condition and came to his father and, and said, I deserve nothing from you, but thank you for your grace. Everything? All right. Let's close like this. Let me just pray. We'll just pray together and we'll be dismissed. Heavenly Father, I pray for us today, Lord God, that we would lose our pretension before you, that we are somehow better than other people. Uh, Lord, your word declares that is absolutely not true. We are beggars and sinners. We are lame and blind like everybody else. And the only reason we make it to the banquet is because of your son, Jesus Christ, who poured out his blood on our behalf that our sins might be taken away from us and forgiven. So, Father, remind us of our great need for you. Help us, Lord, not to have a pharisaical attitude toward other people. 
where we judge them and we look when God has mercy to someone else that we don't approve of to realize, Lord, we don't want to venture off in that bardage. We don't want to venture away from you. We want to have the grace and the mercy of our God and not be judgmental and hard-hearted like the son who, wasn't in, who didn't come to the banquet. Lord, let us find that middle road where we embrace your grace. We ask this in Jesus' great name. Amen. Amen. Listen, thanks for being here. I'm sorry I'm running a little bit late today. Y'all have a great week, and uh, we'll see you next week.